Welcome to the Climate Justice Central podcast. Hello, my name is Lerato Muteda, a journalist from South Africa. Today I'm sitting in a podcast studio in the heart of Berlin with Tafazwa Ufumeli from Zimbabwe, preparing to unpack a concept I've never heard before the degrowth movement. What is it? How is it implemented? And who will it affect the most? From one extreme weather event to another, we have reached the end of an era of skepticism about climate change. As more and more people embrace climate change, the brightest minds in the world are scrambling to find time solutions to these crises. So degrowth has been proposed as one of these solutions. As a journalist in a developing country who has just began to recover from a shrinking, you know, economy, the concept of economic degrowth does not make sense to me. Um, on paper, degrowth may seem to be like a clever solution to climate problems. It may work in, in, in some countries with healthy and mature economies, but is this really applicable to countries like Zimbabwe and South Africa? Joining us to discuss this and demystify the concept of degrowth is Nina Troy, co-founder and coordinator of the Laboratory of Economic Ideas. Welcome, Nina. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thanks for inviting me. Hello. Hi. So we want to hear more about you, Nina. Who are you exactly and how did you join or become part of the new growth movement? I mean, the degrowth movement. Oh, but it's, it's okay for lapsus because new growth and degrowth, it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been interested in ecological and social justice questions for, I would say, all of my life. You know, I've become interested as a youth. And I've thought a lot about the, the problem of addressing the social and environmental question at the same time. Because in the global north, I would say in general, but in Germany in specific, we often talk about environmental problems and we try to find solutions for that. And we talk about social problems and try to find solutions for that, but we don't really bring them together. We don't really see the connection. And so I've been trying to explode that together with a global justice perspective. So not thinking about justice only from a national context, but with a broader scope. With my friends there, we always wondered what could we contribute to make this world a better place, but to contribute our share mm. <laughs> of tackling the problems. So they actually get together. And we do work together with social movements. So, for example, with the climate justice movement or the ecological movement in general or the care movement, the feminist movement. So we try to work together in order to broaden the scope. And if I tell you about that, it sounds really abstract. But as I said beforehand, a lot of um, institutions in Germany, they focus on their thing. So we would might have a good um, environmental campaign and they have a, a be very good um, framing and they reach out and they get to change something in politics, but it doesn't have a broad social understanding. So that's why we work a lot on networking exchange so that people develop ideas together. Mm -hmm. So you just say you work in educational um, programs trying to sensitize people. Before I came to Germany, I didn't even know the term degrowth. So please explain to me practically, as if I'm like a school child, what a degrowth economy would look like. How would people live in everyday life? Like a description. Mm -hmm. Your mm -hmm. ultimate utopian 
degrowth society. Yeah. So to understand the word first, I think it's important to understand that we live on a finite planet, right? Everything we use, it's based on resources and those resources are in our planet. So if you have an economy that's ever growing and thinks that there is infinite growth, there's something that lacks in between, right? We would like to have an economy where people have what they need for their daily life, but we live in um, the planetary boundaries. Mm -hmm. And if you now talked about the fact that we are in Berlin, so we would think of a city which is much more human friendly. So I know what the, what the cities are like that you come from, but here it's very car friendly, right? A lot of infrastructure is built on the fact that people have cars. There's lo a lot of um, asphalt, big streets, big distances. So we would like to have um, neighborhoods where you could get everything that you need. So you don't have to drive across the whole city. You would have an in infrastructure for mobility where you can move around without needing a car. You would have a better educational and um, health system so that people are taken care of. We would have a society where people work, but they don't work as much as they do now because they need time for other things. They need time for care work, which is now mostly done by women and under very precarious conditions often. We need more time for democratic decision making so we all get together and decide how things are done. We need more time to spend with the ones we love. People, when they die, they say they don't say, oh, my God, I have not heard enough money. They say, oh, I have spent too little time with the people I love, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe I have not been good enough, let's say, or something like that. So we think that we should actually focus on what people want and need and not on even more profit and growth. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is driven, driven by growth and profit. So actually, a degrowth idea doesn't work within capitalism. So if we say that we take the planetary boundaries seriously and we think that capitalism produces wealth for only the few, but not the many, then we believe we have to overcome capitalism. But degrowth itself is not a system. It's not like it's the socialist system that beforehand was the antagonism to capitalism. It's more like a critique and it says the new economic system that we need to find, it must go beyond growth and profit and we must do something to have a steady state economy or something like that. And before that, we need to shrink our energy input and our material throughput within the global north foremost. Mm -hmm. So that means that we actually, how should it, equivalize our, our consumption patterns and how there's so many people in the world who don't have enough to eat. Um, enough shelter, enough water, enough health service. I mean, so many things people don't have enough, right? And then there's so many people who have too much <laughs> mm -hmm. and they live in, live in an abundance and they're not happy either. So how can we level that out that everyone has enough but we don't um, yeah, overuse our planet? Mm -hmm. I hear that. And I wanted to just read a quote from your organization's webpage where you said, we are convinced that the economy's purpose is to make a good life possible for everyone. So um, is the concept of a good life not subjective, though? Because I personally could say a good life is living in an eco-village somewhere, living sustainably, whereas um, the next person could say a good life is traveling uh, abroad once a year or twice a year and buying everything that they want. So how do you measure a good life in a normative way? Mm -hmm. Excellent question. So we would say that there is no good life for all in one normative sense, but it's an aim to have a good life for all and to understand that the way 
people now pursue their good lives hinders others of having good lives. So if in Germany everyone has a car, there is not enough resources and enough carbon emissions left um, for people in other places to have a car, like maybe two in their neighborhood or something like that, right? So it's a question of where does my liberty end in order to allow yours, right? And so we think there must be a democratic discussion about those limits of the good life. In the Global North, the German discussion here turns a lot around, um, yeah, do we have to use less or will we miss out on something? And I think people miss out on things all the time, right? So they might have a lot of material welfare, but they don't have a time. Mm. They have all that money, but they don't have time to actually use it and um, spend it. So actually, if we had a lot less material products and a lot of consumption here, um, we would, could still have a good life. And I think that's, that's the point we want to get it. So mm. how could we have another different life that allows for other people to have good lives yeah. as well? Yeah, okay. So I wanted to narrow it down a little. What is the definitive link between a growth economy and climate change? Mm-hmm. Um, do we see the effects of a, gro- a growth economy every day? Um, does the ab- average Berliner cause... The average South African does see the effects. I mean, yeah, well, we had recent floods in the province of KZN in South Africa um, where over 400 people died as a result of the extreme weather event. So in Germany, do you see a direct effect of how the extractivism um, further exacerbates climate change and is it visible to the average German um, individual? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you point out a very difficult point that those countries who have contributed the most to climate change are not yet as effective as those who haven't contributed as much, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a link, there's the question of like landscape or like where geographically are the oceans, etc. But there's also the question of money to protect ourselves, right? The the famous examples of um, dukes which are built in the Netherlands and no money for dukes in Bangladesh or things like that. Mm-hmm. And the rich who are living up on the hills, right? And the poor people who are, live on the direct like, waterfront. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I would say that climate change is getting more and more visible in Germany as well. We have had very drastic floods the last year. We have very um, high, long periods of high temperatures and heat. We have loss of crops. But since, um, for example, crop failure here can be compensated a lot more easily than in many places in the world with money. So we just buy it somewhere else, right? And people um, have more like people themselves individually, but also the companies and the state has more options to buy from somewhere else. But now, yeah, prices are rising here as well. And I think people are getting more and more to it. Mm-hmm. And as part of the climate justice movement, I have always wondered if we need that in order that in order to people to understand that climate change will also affect their lives. Because I think a lot of people here the last 20 years, they thought, oh, climate change, it's going to have the effect somewhere in the future or somewhere else. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned that if you have a low crop yields, at least you have that leeway to exp- import it from somewhere else. So I just want to be like devil's advocate here. 
if you were to degrow the economy, would that not mean that there's not that excess money that then would help you mitigate some uh, of the effects of climate change, like spending money, importing um, resources that are not readily available in Germany? Yeah. If we think of a degrowth economy, we have to think of, very, of a very different economy. So for now, Germany and also many countries of the global north, we produce a lot of things in an industrial way. So we, in Germany, we are like normally the fourth or fifth highest exporter of arms. We have this huge, gigantic car industry. We have a chemical industry. And, well, we don't need that many arms anyways. And we need a lot less cars and we need le- a lot less chemical products. They are yeah, destructing the, in- the environment. So we would need to think of an economy that focuses more on satisfying human needs. And that means, yeah, we would need to have a lot more agriculture in Germany, mm-hmm. actually. And we would need to focus more on, for example, crops that we can eat. Here, we do feed our animals so that we eat a lot of meat. So yes, we would need to uh, reduce our meat consumption, but that ma- doesn't mean we need to go hungry. So we would, you know, we t- need to turn around a lot of things. So it's not necessarily about stopping growth in the economy. It's just directing economic action into industries that aren't harmful to the environment. We do have an, an economy that is too large. So we really need to shrink our economic okay. system and we need to turn towards a less industrial path with more focus on human needs and on education sector, care sector, health sector, etc. And once we are there in an environmentally acceptable level, then we can see if other parts have to grow again. But first we have to shrink but because it's not acceptable. I don't know. I understand like degrowth more like um, as a personal ethos than... Um, uh, uh, economic policy like more individuals deciding that I'm going to consume less and that will therefore force like industries to de-invest in certain industrial practices. What do you think about that? In my understanding to degrowth it's about the structure of the economy and we are not going to overcome capitalism by individual behaviour because the consumption side is only one side, right? There's consumption, there's production. And so if we have a growth and profit-oriented production side, which wants to always sell more, I'm not going to take that down by reducing myself. Mm, that okay. said, obviously, it's important to reflect your own consumption patterns in order to be open to a reduction, maybe, or to a turnaround, and also to show that you can have a happy life mm-hmm. without that much consumption. Yeah. Yeah. In Germany, for example, there's a lot of people now who try to avoid plastic, which is very good because plastic, obviously, it's like it's become more and more um, used everywhere. And there's a lot of things you don't really need plastic for. But they think they're going to save the world just because they're plastic free. And it's like, oh, there's so many problems out there. And it's also a very, um, very strong middle class approach, right, to say, OK, I have the time, I have the resources, I have the money to choose how I consume. A lot of people cannot choose how they consume, right? So you have to change, change the structures behind it. Mm-hmm. Like calling for degrowth is quite radical and something that I am fully behind in the northern sense of it. And it's basically like asking people to, as you said earlier, forgo on a lot of the things that they've become accustomed to. So from my understanding, it will require to stop 
producing in industries that extract from the earth. Um, and I don't know if it's similar in Germany, like South Africa, our mining sector is the biggest employer. It's very huge. So how would you just justly transition from a more capitalist um, system to one that um, supports degrowth and not leave um, vulnerable people in the German population behind? Yeah. Oh, I think that's one of the most important questions, right? And it's one of the most st- of the strongest critiques often raised when we talk about degrowth. So first of all, I would say we would need to democratize those decisions. At the moment, it's governments and com- company managers, so the elite uh, taking those decisions, and it's not the people employed. If you talk to the people on the ground, I think many people are aware that we have to change our structures. They see um, social injustice, they see climate change, they see the problems we have, and they know something has to change. So they're kind of ready and readier than the top is. So I think we would need to have a lot of uh, democratic processes within the companies trying to think how could we change things. And to give you a German example on that, um, there has been studies recently who showed that the workers in the car industry, they actually say, hey, we already do something else. I mean, industrial skill work and also the machines can be employed for something else. And they said, yeah, why not invest in renewables or in different mobility sectors, et cetera? It's just the decisions are not taken on the top. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, Germany has a lot of money, right? It's just... Um, <clears throat> taxes have been um, shrinking as well. So if we can, we can I need ways we can take the money which is there, which is um, used for th- different things, but we can also just tax the rich higher in order to yeah, allow people to change their jobs without losing their livelihood. What is stalling the government to start the processes of degrowing their economy? Mm. Yeah, I always wonder myself. So first of all, I would say that the economic structure and governments are very tightly linked. So a lot of people in the government, they have an interest to keep the structure as it is because they profit from it. Yeah, I also understand that um, the growing of the economy is linked to population growth too. So what's your take in the perspective of degrowing that? If you think about a rural village in Zimbabwe where where people actually don't have a lot of money and they do not trade a lot of things with money, just just have a a subsistence agriculture, they don't even contribute to any economic growth that much. And I mean, truth is, if you have more people on the planet, we need to nourish more people, right? But I would not necessarily say that that is the main problem. The main problem is the capitalistic extraction behind it. So I want to bring this more to the more African context. So it's an overused saying, but um, you know, there's a saying when a butterfly bats its wings in an area in the woods somewhere, it creates a storm in another part of the world. So does that butterfly effect analogy does that not apply to um, how degrowing an economy in the north will affect emerging economies in the south? Because in South Africa. We're still a highly um, emerging economy with um, high levels of poverty and high levels of, of unemployment. And Germany, because you export car parts and stuff like that, is our second biggest. Um, we import second most from Germany. So say if um, 
you were to degrow the car industry in Germany, how would that affect South, South Africa? So that's what I, I want to like just bring into this conversation. Um, that degrowth doesn't essentially sound like it will work for the global south. And if it is implemented in the global north, it's still going to affect the global south. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so one base of degrowth thinking is to say that the way we we run our economy now is by a dependency system, right? So some countries have delivered the resources that other people, other countries use and that not every country in the world can be an industrial producer as Germany is. And so we are actually exporting poverty and, um, yeah, lo- how is it? Um, unemployment, mm. because we export more than we import, right? And that has to some that means some countries have to import more than they export, and that means they cannot produce it in their own country. So that's why I say it actually um, ex- exports unemployment and poverty because people cannot do it the way they want. Then obviously those structures are still based on colonial structures. So why do we get cheap licenses to take resources out by international companies in other countries? Why does the money not stay in the place? Um, why do we think that um, it's still more important to produce bananas and cocoa for the international market and um, that doesn't raise as much money as the cars and then other p- have to buy the cars, right? Mm-hmm. So why can't we level out more what we produce in different places? And the degrowth debate connects to struggles for a more sovereign and a more people-led economy in different places. So, for example, it connects to the debate about radical ecological democracy in India, or it connects to the debate about when we are in Latin America. People say it connects to the concept of Ubuntu in Mm, Southern Africa, but I'm not so... Outspoken on that because yeah. I'm not so well informed. Um, so Ubuntu is basically just um, the concept. What it actually so it's Ubuntu, Ngumuntu, Ngabantu. Um, say directly, a person is a person because of the people he surrounds itself with. So we all, by living collectively, um, contribute to each and every person in society living a dignified experience. So that's what Ubuntu basically is. Ubuntuism basically is taking care of your neighbor. Yeah. 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 So to have a, also a more solidarity system. Yes. Yeah. yeah a more solidarity yeah. system. Yeah. yeah. So I would say it connects to struggles that mm. we have, which connects to the other question we had. I'd like to share an example that um, I've worked on. Um, I've worked once on a report about special economic zones in India. Um, a lot of the Indian and Chinese development is based on special economic zones, which means the government says we're going to put a special economic zone here. We're going to take the land, whatever people used it for, and we're going to build some factory here and going to produce something industrially, which we're going to afterwards sell to not people in the corner because they don't have the money, but to the middle class and upper class in the Mm -hmm. cities, right? And um, in Germany, you would consider that a good economic development. Oh, there is a new car plant somewhere in India. But from people on the ground who have lived on ancestral lands or have used those lands to raise their animals, but they don't have land titles, it's just expropriation, right? They're taking their land. And so then you wonder, okay, who is this development for? And who is this growth for? 
I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves, right? If we talk about emerging economies or growth in the global south, yeah, who is it for? Who profits from it? Mm. And it can well be that there is a development which profits for the local community and there's not that many people suffering because it's developed with them and it's meant for them. But often it's not the case. It's it's also very interesting because um, land appropriation has always been the base of capitalism. There is no doubt that climate change will affect the lives of every person on this planet, no matter who they are or where they live. It will definitely, you know, threaten food and water security and human health, as well as social, economic and political, you know, stability. It will reshape societies and change the natural world as we know it by degrading and depleting the very resources on which life depends on. Climate change could reverse many of these development gains made by African countries during recent decades and could actually hamper development efforts. My question to you is, uh, is it a fact that there is a sentiment from people who are rich as they are not so keen to agree on um, degrowth, but instead they are creating their own bubbles. Yeah, I would very much say so, that the people who profit from the current system, they are not very much likely to like degrowth in the first place because that means things are taken off them. The question then is, who is the rich, right? Um, from a global perspective, um, also the poor Germans um, are part of the 15% richest persons in the world. But obviously poor people in Germany also suffer hunger, um, don't have access to very important processes of society, um, lack some sense of integration society. So if we talk about the rich rich, talk about the richest 1% worldwide, I think we could probably find a common ground that um, their richness is just crazy and we could easily take it away so also like from a mental perspective i really don't know why adding zeros to your bank accounts makes you happier right mm. there's this level of richness where you're just like okay this is only works by exploiting others mm. and exploiting nature but really it does not make you happier right it's not giving you a better life i'm noticing that the hindrance to degrowth is capitalism and before degrowth was introduced, we had capitalism. Do you think that there are certain organizations that want to degrowth to happen or they want to profit, profit and profit? So I would say that since capitalism was established, it has been contested and there's been forces against it. They have just most, in the most places, they haven't been strong enough. And in the last century, the the contrary to capitalism, the other system was socialism, right? But from a degrowth perspective, most socialist systems were still extractive systems. Uh, yeah, some of some socialists or some people who believe in socialism, they still believe that we just have to uh, take over um, the workforce and take over the machines and then we can be productive for what we need. But this thinking about how productive do we need to be and what do we actually need to have a good life, that has not really been part of any of the economic systems that we had in the last 150 years. So we are actually looking for something new. And in this 
search for a new economic system, I think all different actors of society can play a role. Thank you so much. It was a really informative discussion. I mean, I came in here like, no, but degrowth is a Western fallacy. <laughs> it won't it won't um, work in Africa. But, um, I mean, what really stuck with me is you saying that um, when you ask yourself who the growth is for um, and if it's not benefiting um, the poor, um, then it's not good growth. And that's what's happening in Africa right now. We keep saying Africa needs to go, Africa needs to go, Africa needs to go. But it's not benefiting the poor. So growth in Africa as it is right now is not working either. Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us unpack um, the topic of degrowth and how it relates to climate change and how it can serve as a solution to the climate crisis. Uh, you know, I often find that while covering the different subjects and events that relate to the climate crisis, the topics we cover as journalists tend to depict a sad and depressing future. We seldom ever discuss the possible solutions to climate to the climate crisis, and this is why discussions like this are so important. I mean, now I understand what degrowth actually is. The movement seeks to restructure the way we live, not just on in the economic sense, but also in the sense that will better everybody's lives socially and ecologically as well. The aim is that everyone has access to the things that will ensure that they live a life of dig dignity while respecting the earth. While a degrowth economy may not be suitable for many developing countries, especially those in Southern Africa, but there are many elements that you did point out that I think can be applied in our countries. Most importantly for me is a desire of a good life for all. Thanks for listening to the Climate Justice Central podcast. For more engaging stories, go to climatejusticecentral.org.